This is Sporting Max with Max Becker on SEN. Yes, that's right. Welcome back to another episode of Sporting Max brought to you by Wilson Sport for all your sporting needs. Go to wilson.com.au for all your sports, basketball, NFL, footy across Australia and the world, wilson.com.au. Joining me on the Sporting Max podcast today is a star in fitness, training, mental health and resilience, Danny Kennedy, DJK Fitness. Danny, it's great to have you on. Thanks for having me on, mate. It's an absolute pleasure. Now, Danny, I want to get into... You're coaching right now. You're obviously great mates with Mitch Craig, who's having, who's a recent podcast guest and who's having an absolute great season in the, <coughs> sorry, in the NBL. It's looking like he's in his best, perf- best performing self that he's been over his whole career, even when you compare that to when he was playing over in the NBA. Hundred percent, mate. I think Craig is a, uh, he's an absolute freak, but he's also one of the hardest workers I've ever met, um, and. He's obviously extremely athletically um, talented and and genetically talented, but he works his works his ass off, and he's um, also probably one of the more mentally resilient people I've ever come across as well. But yeah, he's having a great season, which is awesome to see. Um, he's been very consistent. He's been a pro for a long time now, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, he's he's dominating this season, and it's it's good to see all the hard work paying off. So you played as a kid back in Horsham with Mitch, is that right? Yeah, so we grew up together. Um, we played juniors together, so with Horsham Hornets in in Vic Country, and um, yeah, we we right from the the early days we were pushing each other in training and whatnot. I I kind of finished up my basketball career after two years in Melbourne in 2013. Um, by that stage, Creaky had already he was already playing playing in the NBL and stuff. But mm-hmm. all the way through kind of 14s, 16s, 18s um, in juniors, him and I um, played together and trained together. Um, his old man was one of my coaches as well. And I, I believe my old man was a coach of his for a little bit in basketball as well, if not footy, but, um, but yeah, Creek is a really good mate of mine and it's just been awesome to see, um, his career go so well and, um, to see him at the absolute top of the game. So obviously before the podcast we were talking and you mentioned obviously playing Australian rules football, footy and mm-hmm. basketball, what was that like? Did you get to a point where at a certain age where you had to make a decision? Obviously, was that when you had to go across to the basketball college of Melbourne? Yeah. So I, yeah, I was playing both. I'd always kind of preferred or when it, if I had to choose one or the other, I was always choosing basketball. It was funny how it worked. I I was really enjoying my football and decided I wanted to take that seriously and, and had just decided that I was going to give basketball a miss for a year and focus on footy. But then mm-hmm. I got invited to move down here to Melbourne um, at the Australian College of Basketball. At the time was with Phil Smythe and Steve Brini, yep. uh, Leonard Copeland which was awesome. So I was here for two years for basketball, um, moved, moved down straight after I finished year 12 and, um, after the second year. So the second year I, I kind of trained under Guy Malloy and, um, Rowan Short, which was awesome. And then I had an ankle reconstruction at the end of that year and I was already very kind of obsessed with fitness and, mm-hmm. um, very passionate about the health and fitness space. And I'd already, I'd already done my personal training qualification, like just separate to school when I was in school. Yeah. So um, I saw it as a good opportunity to start getting stuck into that and then just just fell in love with the the personal training and business side of things and kind of never looked back from there. So that's the moment, I guess, where you were in, obviously always encapsulated in the world of and aware of the world of health and fitness. Mm-hmm. When did it become, obviously, after you did your ankle, how did you focus 
on building yourself back up, not only physically but the mental resilience coming back from an injury like that? Yeah, look, mate, to be honest, it was something that I struggled with um, back then in particular. But injuries, I've had so many of them. And I guess over the years, I've just started to add different tools to my toolkit, whether it be meditating and journaling, whether it be, you know, self-improvement, personal development stuff where, you know, things like reading and and doing courses and whatnot. But the ankle reconstruction was a big one at the time. It was very, um, very devastating. And I felt like I was in a good spot with basketball at that time, but it was an absolute blessing. It's probably uh, one of the best things that ever happened, to be honest, looking back on it now. But, you know, since then I've had my knee done three times. I've had a shoulder reconstruction. So each time, as I said, I've just kind of added different tools to the toolkit to deal with it better. And I think one of the the best things to come from it is just having the mindset of the fact that focusing only on what you can control and the rest is not worth not worth putting any time to because it's not going to make a difference how much you get disappointed about it or how much you think about it. So really just putting all my focus on the things that I can control and, and just being very grateful for the things that I still do have and the abilities that I've still got and you know, whether it's a ankle, knee, shoulder, there's, um, you know, other limbs you can still use and other things you can focus on. So I think it's a, it's been a big, big mindset shift for me, but it's, it's definitely one that was necessary. Did that mindset or mentality always been with you and instilled within you since a young age? It's funny. It's funny you ask that. Like the, the mental side of things was kind of a 50, 50, like growing up as a basketballer and footballer, I was always very fortunate to have some awesome opportunities and play at a high level mm-hmm. with both. But I was also always in that kind of percentage of players where I was playing at a high level, but got cut from a lot of teams, missed a lot of state teams, um, you know, had a heap of disappointments and setbacks as a basketballer in particular. And I don't, I don't know what it was, whether it was just having good people around me or just the determination, I'm not too sure, but I always just kind of attacked it with a, a mental approach of like, it doesn't matter how many times I fail, I guess you could, you could put it, it is only going to drive me to work even harder. And I think that's what, what led me down the path of, you know, really relying on hard work and consistency and making sure that I try not to leave it up to anyone else to, to make good things happen for myself. So, um, so yeah, from that aspect, it was really strong, but like I said, early days, the, um, all the setbacks and stuff like that, particularly with injuries, I didn't deal with very well. Uh, but over the years I've gotten a lot better at that and, um, I'm very fortunate now to be able to have what I think is a pretty strong mindset and, and now be able to hopefully help other people through it well, just as well, just through the experiences that I've had. Absolutely. I want to get into your business, Danny Kennedy Fitness. So where'd the motivational, I guess, motive for that come about? Yeah. So as I said before, I was very passionate about the health and fitness industry. Um, up until about 15 or 16, I was always quite a good runner. Um, but had never got in the gym, was very weak. Mm-hmm. Um, and even once I got in the gym, I, I fell in love with it pretty quickly. And after seeing the results physically, but also mentally just improving my confidence as a kid, I wasn't that confident, um, and didn't have much self-esteem, I guess you could say. So, um, the gym taught me a lot and spent, built up a lot of, um, mental strength and, and confidence and stuff. And even when I moved here for basketball, I was still probably, same height as I am now, but about 25 kilos less. Wow. Crazy. So as I started to build all the knowledge around training and nutrition myself um, and see results with myself, I obviously started getting some questions from friends and people who knew me from back home. I started posting pretty consistently on social media and getting a lot of questions. And after I'd started my business as a personal trainer, um, I then kind of 
added a second uh, pillar to the business with the online coaching. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of just continued to evolve from there. And there's been heaps of changes and made all the mistakes and whatnot. But um, my passion went from putting all of my focus on myself and trying to achieve, you know, success with sport individually to then putting all of that energy and focus in being able to share my experiences with other people and hopefully help them feel the same way that I was able to feel just by getting in the gym and really working on myself physically and mentally. So can you tell me about how you educated yourself on, I guess, sub particles of what is fitness and lifestyle? Mm-hmm. How'd you educate yourself in that health and nutrition aspect particularly? From the education side, as I said, I, I did my personal training qualification quite early, but something that I tell a lot of trainers now, new trainers now, is that that's just the very beginning because it's it's the bare minimum that you need to know to excel in the fitness industry. So mm-hmm. I was reading a lot. I was watching all the videos online. I was doing seminars and coaching courses, um, more certifications around strength and conditioning. But some of the best experience that I had was just through my own actual learning experiences myself. So I was very fortunate to start working with athletes early on. Um, I was on my own fitness journey as well. So I was just obsessed with soaking in as much knowledge as I possibly could, Mm -hmm. networking with as many people as I could and uh, taking every opportunity I could to learn from people who had done what I wanted to do beforehand or had more knowledge of me. And that's something that I continue to do to this day is just try and always surround myself with people who uh, doing better than what I am or have better, more knowledge than what I am. I think there's a saying that's something along the lines of you never want to be the smartest person in the room. Mm-hmm. So you always want to surround yourself with people who you can learn from. Um, and that's what I did. So to this day, I think it's a never ending, um, journey, particularly with the knowledge on health and fitness, cause it's obviously always changing. Yep. So it's, it's never getting complacent with what you know, and it's always about making sure that you're learning more and more. And it's the same with podcasting and, um, and absolutely anything. I think it's just a never ending journey and you always want to have that growth mindset to continually always be open to learning more from anyone and everyone. So how do you structure specific programs, <clears throat> obviously dedicated, <clears throat> sorry, yeah. to different athletes? Mm-hmm. Well, it all depends, right? So I've been, as I said, fortunate to work with a bunch of, you know, AFL footballers, um, NBL players, people from across different sports and different codes, but even then just general population as well, which is what a lot of my online clientele is. Yeah. And you really need to look at it by on a case by case um, basis. So what does the athlete or the individual need? You know, what are their limitations? Uh, if it's a, say a footballer, have they had surgery in the off season? Mm-hmm. What does their club want them to improve on for the coming season? How often can they train? What's their accountability going to be like? And with an athlete, it's always hundred percent, you know, you get mm-hmm. someone like a Creaky or someone from an AFL, an AFL club or whatever, they're obviously going to put in the work, which is good. So the programming comes down to how much time have I got with the athlete. So with someone like Mitch, I, I'm fortunate enough to work with him throughout the whole year. So I can really periodize his training in a way that's I can control the whole time. Whereas someone like an AFL footballer, often I'll get a couple of months, two to three months with them in the off season. And then once they go back to the club, I kind of don't have anything to do with their programming then because the club kind of takes control. So yeah, to answer your question, it really comes down to the goal, how much time we've got, any limitations, um, and then specifically kind of periodizing their training based around that. So if it's strength, it might be, you know, making sure that what areas need to get stronger. Is there any imbalances? Is there mobility issues? Um, you know, how many, you know, what's our rep range we want to work in? How heavy can we push? Like how much time do we have until they need to taper off or whatever it may be? So there's a heap of different variables that come into play. So working with an AFL player after each 
season, in the off-season? Do you have to structure a new program, I guess, for that specific player, depending on what they've improved or maybe slacked off a bit during the season? Yeah, so usually I will I'll chat to the player um, once the season's done. They'll kind of give me an idea of what they want to improve on, how much time we've got. Um, if it's someone I've been fortunate enough to work with over multiple seasons, obviously I've got a bit of a rough idea of you know what we did the previous season, um, how they've gone throughout the year. I always keep a close eye on how they've they've been going, if there's any injuries and whatnot throughout the season. Yeah. Um, and typically, especially with the AFL, it's very often that they're working around some form of injury or a niggle or post-season surgery, um, which obviously puts some limitations on it. But it really comes down to obviously for an athlete performance. So. You know, aesthetically, obviously, a, a lot of guys in particular want to get a bit of muscle or lean up a bit or whatever, which is awesome. But mm-hmm. often it's very performance-based. So could be making sure that they improve their power, could be in, improving their strength around the hips or hamstrings if they've had some soft tissue injuries and whatnot, and you kind of just go from there. Absolutely. Now, I want to get into your physique competitor yep. and competitions. How did that all start out? Mate, very similar to just getting into the fitness industry. Like, as I said, it was something I was very obsessed with Um and I've always been someone who's really pushed myself um, physically, whether it be when I was playing sport, always really pushing the boundaries with the, with the training side of things and particularly with the fitness side. Um, and it was just something I wanted to eventually do one day. And then after I had my ankle reconstruction, I was obviously not able to play. I didn't decide to stop playing basketball until about six months after surgery. But mm-hmm. in that time off, I just, uh, I just put all my time and energy into – to giving it a crack and, um, you know, at the time it was very, uh, very not so much aligned with basically anything that, that I'd done before really. Mm-hmm. And none of my friends were doing it and whatnot, but it was something that I was interested in. And that was one of those mindset things. I, I very early on when I was younger, I was very worried about what everyone thought about me and, um, mm-hmm. I'd, a lot of people pleasing stuff, but I just thought, you know what, I'm going to do this. I don't really care what anyone else thinks. And, um, it was probably one of the best decisions I made because it was good for, good for business being able to document on social media and YouTube and whatnot around what I was doing to get in shape, to show people the process that I was doing um, and to show that it doesn't have to be, you know, too crazy or or anything that no one else can do. Like everyone can get in shape regardless of what um, extent of that, that training is. Um, But yeah, that's, that's when I started in 2014. I think my first one was I did, uh, I did maybe a couple here in Melbourne. I did two national shows and I did one over in Vegas as well. Wow, what was that like in Vegas as a physique competitor? It was cool, man. Like obviously, I was not. It's uh, it's a natural federation, but um, it was awesome. It was just crazy to go over. Um, I don't know. It was a bit of a silver lining too. Like I've I've played over in the states with basketball prior to that, but um, you know, stepping was into there a like a new sport. Atmosphere? Yeah, yeah. It was all like for which one? For- <laughs> with the um physique. What? <laughs> what is going on? Yeah, just a bit of Apple Watch action. <laughs> um, was it different atmosphere for which one, basketball or? Um, the physique competition. Was there a dip- different atmosphere in terms of that going over to the states compared to basketball? Yeah, for sure. Basketball was an awesome experience because we went over and played against a bunch of top level high schools. We got absolutely smashed in pretty much every game. But yeah. um, went to some colleges, which was awesome. Went to. Um, you know, UCLA, Duke College, all these really cool places, which was epic. But with the physique stuff, it was in Vegas and it was pretty much the pinnacle of, of natural um, bodybuilding. So it was just an awesome experience. And, you know, I was only probably two years into competing. So it was just a crazy experience to go and compete for Australia in 
Las Vegas, um, which was awesome. And um, I absolutely love going over to the US. So, um, yeah, I was just stoked to be there. What? How'd you go in that uh, competition? I came eighth. Oh, out that's of about awesome. 40, yeah. So Sick. it was awesome. It was a really cool experience. Um, but like I said, I just find, you know, I, I, don't, I 100% probably will never um, compete again. Mm-hmm. But just the, there's not much, there's not much things, there's not many things like it in terms of everything comes down to you. Like you don't have to rely on anyone else. You either put in the work or you don't. It requires a lot of discipline. It's very, very difficult mentally. Obviously, physically it's tough, but it's very rewarding as well. Um, and as I said, through that journey, I was able to document a lot of it, a lot of it online and that helped grow the business a lot. And I got to meet a heap of cool people and got to travel, travel the world to go do something fun. So it was all, all worth it. So when you have different people, what about, let's say your online coaching, how'd you get mm-hmm. that started? Was that generated through COVID? No, nah, mate, it wasn't, I was, I was pretty fortunate. So 2015 or 2016, I think was the first 2015, sorry was when I started online coaching. Initially, it was very basic. It was, you know, sending some workouts and nutrition plans via Facebook or email or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then that transitioned to some PDFs through email. Then I had some automated stuff. And it's just evolved over the years. Um, and so, yeah, when it got to COVID, I was very fortunate that I had a, a an audience online already and a good online client uh, clientele base. Um, you know, now transition, it's, it's evolved a lot now having my own coaching app and yep. um, and everything, which is awesome. But it just continued to evolve over the years. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just a good way to not always have to trade your time for money and, and be able to reach a, a larger audience than just face-to-face because you've obviously only got um, a certain amount of hours in the day to, to get through. Now, Danny, this is our Wilson Sport question of the week for all your sporting needs. AFL, footy, NFL and basketball. Go to wilson.com.au Wilson question of the week, Danny, comes off Instagram from Enya Martik. How do you go from being in a rut to having an optimal routine for a great mindset? It's a great question. I think one of the best kind of lessons or things that I've learned is is really appreciating the things that you do have. So as I said before, like really focusing on gratitude. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy to get bogged down in something that's not going well and focus on that. But the more you focus on the negative, the more that is going to continue to occur. So when you talk about, you know, positive and negative mindset, if, you know, think about the last time you had a bad day, something, you know, might have pissed you off in the morning. Mm -hmm. And then that one thing led to a really bad day all day for no real reason, because you're so focused on the negative that it keeps happening over and over and over again. Whereas if you can shift that mindset to positive, focus on what you can control. If it's coming from an injury or a setback or whatever, it's just taking the baby steps and making sure that you're building a bit of a foundation and, also setting some some measurable goals as well. So let's use the example of coming back from an injury. If I'm if I'm starting to work my way back and I'm I'm in a bit of a rut, it's like all right. Well, within the first couple of weeks, I want to try and tick off just a couple of training sessions a week. I want to start drinking, you know, a certain amount of water a day, get enough sleep, um, you know, hit my calorie intake or whatever it may be. And once you can tick off those small wins, and you start to build some momentum. So I think it's one focusing on the positives and being very grateful for the things that are going well or that you do have. And then two, just taking baby steps and not trying to do it all at once. So just gradually building on that and that'll start to compound over time. How can you keep yourself accountable for a routine or being on top of everything? I like to use, I'd like to use a journal daily. So as I said, with the goal setting process before, I like to set some longer term goals, but each and every single day I'll, I'll grab out my journal. I'll write down, you know, three to five 
high priority tasks for the day and the things that I know I need to get done. I like to create a bit of a list, which I like to call the daily non-negotiables. So mm-hmm. these are the things that uh, that just become part of like who you are. So, yep. you know, I, I sent an email to my list yesterday talking about if you want to go from where you are now to where you envision yourself being, you have to become that version of yourself before it's a reality. Mm-hmm. So if you think about getting in shape and you're not in shape at the moment, then all your thoughts, actions, behaviors, and habits need to start to be aligned with someone who's already in shape. Yep. So it's really getting yourself accountable by having these non-negotiables, making yourself, making yourself aware of them every day by either journaling about them or having those goals somewhere where you can visually see them every day. Um, and another thing that I find quite uh, effective as well is telling other people about your goals. So you're keeping yourself mm-hmm. accountable by letting other, other people know, whether it's your friends, family, partners, whatever it is. Um, and then if it's something to do with training, even finding a training partner so that if you're you're not consistent, you're not only letting yourself down, but you're letting someone else down as well. I want to get into building a brand, Danny. Mm-hmm. How do you, obviously, when you branch out into other aspects to build your brand and build a reputation in fitness and lifestyle, obviously, the podcast, merch, charity work, all mm-hmm. those kinds of things, how do you begin to build your reputation as, um, I guess, a charitable organization? Mate, I think any form of brand building, firstly, you need to figure out exactly what your message and your purpose is. And then you need to really stick true to that because you can't just be going in a hundred different directions every single week with the stuff you're talking about, all the things you're trying to promote yourself as. So if you can find your message, figure out your purpose and then stick very true to that. I think consistency. So when we talk about building a brand, obviously at the moment, social media and, and things like podcasting and YouTube and whatnot are uh, pretty much essential now to build any form of brand. So being very consistent with that. So, you know, you do a good, a great job of it yourself, but it's not just posting something on social media once every few weeks. It's being very consistent with it, putting yourself out there, networking, and then always looking to give as much value as you possibly can for free. Yeah. So it's like, like I call it the boomerang effect. I didn't come up with that, but yeah. um, that's what I call it. That's what I call it. Like the boomerang effect. So if you're giving out as much free value as you possibly can and helping other people without asking for anything in return, then they will want to come back because you've built up trust. So it's building up trust with your audience or the people you're trying to target by providing them with value. As I said, similar to what you're doing at the moment and, and giving them stuff that they you know, appreciate and then you're not sitting there just asking for something in return all the time. And then that'll build that trust and they'll be more than willing to follow along with your journey and then talk about you, whether it's word of mouth or sharing your content or talking about your brand with their friends. And over time that builds up. But I think you really need to be, um, you need to be very consistent with the message, the content, um, and then also stick true to what the brand is and try not to stray from it too much. Cause it take, can take a long time to build up a reputation, but it, it can, you can lose your reputation very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. So how'd you get the fitness and lifestyle podcast started? 2016, uh, I just started listening to some podcasts myself uh, and a book I, I read by Grant Cardone, which is something I reckon you'd like, actually. I might send you a link to it after this. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talked about not waiting till tomorrow to do something that can be done today. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd had a plan to start this podcast and I hadn't done it yet. So I went on Google, typed in how to start a podcast, read the blog post and followed all the steps. And by the end of the day, I'd I'd went and bought just a USB adapted mic, plugged it into my Mac, recorded a few episodes and submitted it to iTunes. And since then I've put out at least one episode a week ever, ever since then. So we've got over well, 
400, nearly 450 episodes now. Mm-hmm. Um, and very similar to the coach, the online coaching that's evolved a lot over the years. And obviously now get, it's at a much higher standard and quality, but very similar to the brand building stuff I said before, it's just about trying to provide as much value as I possibly can and meet new people and, um, and hopefully help people along the way. What's the best insight you've been given throughout your podcast? That is a good question, mate. There's been so many of them. Oh, no. She's pretty nosy, isn't she? <laughs> wow. Um, the best <laughs> – she's very nosy. Um, the best bit of advice or the best insight, I think – I can't remember. It's not very much so from a specific guest, but it's a recurring thing that you, you tend to hear a lot is that you have to be willing to fail often mm-hmm. in order to see a large amount of success. So – a lot of the people that I've had on my show who have done well in absolutely any field, regardless of what it is, have probably failed twice as much, if not way more than what they have succeeded. Mm-hmm. So it's being willing to try new things, being willing to put yourself out there, learning from all your experiences and not being scared of failure or rejection um, and and just seeing them as lessons. So it's just a, it's a setback. It's not really a loss um, and and you just keep pushing forward from there. But that's probably one of the best ones of I've picked up along the way. Yeah, absolutely. Danny, what about when you produce, obviously we've spoken about a fair bit now, producing a brand and how you mm-hmm. can lose your reputation very quickly. How'd you get through that COVID period? So bringing it all the way back to when we talked about the mindset stuff, because at the start of COVID, I had a shoulder reconstruction. At the end of it, at the end of 2020, I had uh, my knee done. Mm-hmm. So there was a bunch of like stuff that could have thrown me off, but I felt like I'd built up enough I had enough tools in the toolkit, like I said, for mental health to focus on all the positives, focus on doing the things that I probably didn't have time to do before we were in lockdown. So putting extra time into building out online platforms and I really just doubled down on trying to provide as much good content for people as I possibly could Um, and just accepted the fact that, you know, you're going to have to continue to adapt and I think the quicker you adapt to changes that need to be made, then the you know the more likely you're going to kind of come out on top. So, yeah, it was just trying not to get too bogged down, and I didn't watch much news. I didn't I didn't get stuck talking about all the negatives and getting too bogged down in the things that were outside of our control. And then just like I said, doubled down on trying to provide value, whether it was workouts, whether it was talking about the mental health stuff, whether it was recording more podcast episodes, building new courses and whatnot, um, and just made the most of the time and and just adapted and. Um, you know, it, it is what it is. You, you couldn't control it. So I didn't waste any time, you know, complaining about it or, or sitting around wishing that it was going to change because that wouldn't have changed a thing. We talked about incredible human features. Athletically and physically, Kane Corns run from Adelaide to Melbourne. Ned Brockman's 1,000-kilometre mm-hmm. or whatever it was run across from Perth to Sydney. Now, 2017, you raised money for Beyond Blue, pushing a sled in the gym for 24 hours. What was that like? Yeah, mate, it was a long time. Um, and stupidly enough, I did it 2018 as well. But mm-hmm. 2017, yeah, myself and a good friend of mine, Michael Klim, we had this idea. I, I kind of had the idea to push a sled for 24 hours and, and Klimmy was pretty keen to jump on board too. We were doing a bit of training there. I think he was trying to get in shape for men's health cover or something like that. Um, and yeah, we, we pushed a sled for 24 hours, raised a heap of money for Beyond Blue. And then the second year, I... Uh, I jumped in Katie Brennan's gym um, and, and did it again, and yeah, it was a very long time, but it was it was an awesome experience. It was 
like, like I've already said, like I really enjoy pushing myself physically and mentally. And it was obviously a significantly large challenge, but, um, we had plenty of support and it was, it was, uh, obviously for a great cause and yeah, mate, we'll have to, we might have to do it again and get you down there. What about times like that where you feel and you get to stages of, I guess, pushing that sled maybe at the 16th hour and you feel as though you're knackered. How do you just find, try and find more fuel in the tank? I think when it's something as big as that, or even if it's something much smaller, so let's say someone is struggling to find motivation to go do a workout, it's just mm-hmm. telling yourself like what needs to be done and just accepting it and, and really locking in mentally. So, you know, if you told me to go and push a sled for half an hour now, I'd probably find that just as hard as the 24 hours because yeah. I'd already knew that's what I was doing. I told myself I was doing 24 hours um, and just accepted it and just kind of move on and just and going into it as well, knowing that, Obviously, at some point, it was going to get very difficult. So I was already expecting that. So I knew it was going to come. And when it came, just kind of, you know, head down and just keep working through it. Um, and then also, like, on the with more perspective, like, understanding that, yes, it's quite hard, but there's a lot of people going through a lot a lot worse than that. And obviously, tying tying that in with Beyond Blue is one of the reasons why we did it is to, to, to raise awareness around people really struggling mentally and how it can feel like such a battle to keep pushing through when things get hard, but just knowing that if you just keep working your way through it, just stay consistent and, you know, and understand that there'll be good and bad times and it'll all kind of come through in the end. Just a quick question before we let you go, Danny, Mm -hmm. does Creaky pay you back for the training sessions? Oh, he does well. He's, yeah, he's, he's a good man. He, he's, uh, he, he's all right, yeah. <laughs> no, he does. He's, he's a great bike, yes. I was trying to get a bit of juice off you off uh, Creaky <laughs> last night on the Insta, so I sent him a text message. Just said, said, Mitch, I said, I've got to try and get a couple of stories off you about Danny because he spoke about you a little bit on the podcast. Oh, uh, cool, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, um, I did listen. And he said... And he said, uh, probably none that are appropriate for, <laughs> yeah, for radio. But, fair um, enough. We, we'll but I found, interesting, <laughs> I found interesting the other week that, uh, sorry, on Sunday, I think it was, yep. he rode his motorbike to the game and rocked up and then went out for stakes afterwards, riding his motorbike to the steakhouse. It was unbelievable. Yeah, he's, he's one of a kind, Mitch, whether it's jumping out of planes, riding motorbikes to games. He's, uh, Dirt he's a pretty on a loose unit. <laughs> he's a pretty <laughs> loose unit. Uh, but no, nah, I mean... You know, he's a professional athlete. There's probably certain things that uh, that he does that I'm sure the club aren't super happy with in terms of riding motorbikes and jumping out of planes, but that's just who he is, and I think that's something that Mitch does. Gets a job done on court. Gets a job done on court, and one of the things that Mitch does best and one of the things I love about him most is that he's just himself all the time. He doesn't try and change to suit anyone, um, and, you know, whether it's good or bad, it's um, it's one of the reasons why he's so liked and loved by all the, all the members at South East Melbourne Phoenix and why he still enjoys playing the game because he just does it his way and, and he's it's obviously working. MVP for him this season? 100%. Absolutely. Danny, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's been an absolute honour to have you on. Thanks for having me, legend. Thanks, Danny. This episode is brought to you by Wilson Sport for everything footy, NFL and basketball in Australia and the world. Go to wilson.com.au. Thank you and we'll see you soon. This is Sporting Max with Max Becker on SEM.